Welcome! This is Field Points of View with Cameron Dawson and Johnny Gibson, a podcast about macro, markets, and investing brought to you by Fieldpoint Private. Cameron Dawson and Johnny Gibson work for Fieldpoint Private and are investment advisors registered with Fieldpoint Private Securities. All opinions expressed by Cameron or Johnny or any podcast guest are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Fieldpoint Private. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and you are encouraged to speak with an investment professional before making any investment decisions. It is possible that clients of Fieldpoint Private will have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Fieldpoint Private Securities is an SEC-registered broker-dealer and registered investment advisor and is a member of FINRA. Hello. My name is Cameron Dawson, and I am the Chief Market Strategist at Fieldpoint Private. And I am Johnny Gibson. I am the Chief Investment Officer at Fieldpoint Private. In this week's episode, we are going to look at the content of our Monday note again. But if you would like to read the written version or see the many charts we've included, you can visit fieldpointprivate.com and go to the Weekly Perspectives tab. All right. Well, this week, uh, Cameron, you published a piece called Too Fast, Too Furious. What was the impetus to write that piece? Vin Diesel. I'm joking. <laughs> so the, the, the inspiration or the impetus to write this piece uh, was that, you know, when we were looking at the market and looking how strong trading has been over the last four weeks, we've hit consecutive new all-time highs in the S&P 500 over the past four weeks. We have lapped the one-year anniversary of the bear market low from uh, back in late March. Um, we're now 86% off of that low. When we look at things like flows into equities being at record levels, uh, the S&P was also extended above its trend trading 16% above its own 200-day moving average. This has acted as a ceiling for as much as the S&P can kind of push above that long-term trend. And so we thought it would be a really good time to ask the question of, or two questions really, what would drive the market lower from here? or what would be needed to drive the market higher from here. And that's where we come up with this idea of a list of catalysts. And so when we think about these catalysts, you know, it's often a very good time to ask these questions when you are at points of what we'll call extremes, meaning they're they can either be extremes to the upside or extremes to the downside. On the downside, you know, a great question when the market is selling off and all the news is telling you that things are terrible and the world is ending, you really need to step back and ask the question, how much worse can it actually get? What's being priced in? Can things get cheaper? And then from there, that can drive your view about where an inflection point might be. But as we listed all these things about the market currently, we're certainly not at a low point where there's a big wall of worry and, and, and people are doubtful about the recovery and the economy. We're actually quite opposite, where people feel like there's a great deal of visibility in the uh, recovery. The earnings expectations are already rather quite high. It's, they're up 41% for 2021. And we're still trading at a near record multiple on forward earnings at over 22 times. So when you put that all together, it really is a good time to start asking the question of what is needed to push this market higher 
or what could happen to push this market lower. Uh, and so I think we'll, we'll walk through a few of the, of the catalysts that we're seeing. And what you'll see is that the bar is certainly higher for good news right now, which may imply some choppier, more sideways actions for markets in the immediate term. Of course, the last point here is that this isn't a comprehensive view of things either. 2020 has certainly taught us the lesson, probably the hard way, that we can all be shocked by those seemingly far left tail or black swan events. We quote Carl Richards in the written piece when he says, risk is what's left when you think you've thought of everything. So with that, I think we can jump into these catalysts. So the first on our list is peak data. What do you mean by peak data? Yes. So we have seen extraordinarily strong data being released year to date. And so we have to ask the question, how much better can it get? The bar is now much higher for surprises and the market cares about the incremental move. So even a loss of upside momentum, meaning data could still be getting better, it's just getting better at a slower rate than it originally was, could be a challenge. So the upside driver here would be if the market shakes off peak data and sees so much potential in reopening and the spending down of savings, that strong data can persist for far longer than it might normally in a normal economic cycle. But on the downside, we could see the strong data momentum start to moderate, and this could put pressure on the market. We think this would probably be the biggest risk for cyclical areas of the market. So we detailed a couple weeks ago how the PMI at 64.7, which is a 30-year high, an extremely strong reading of expansion in the, in the manufacturing part of the economy. So with the PMI at 64.7, it makes the old industrial analyst and me really worried because this is usually the time when you want to be reducing exposure to cyclical areas because a moderation and momentum of the data is just inevitable. Another, another catalyst in, in here is um, you know, timely because we're entering into earnings season. How do earnings surprises play into this theme? So the upside driver here is that earnings continue to get revised higher, that the faster reopening of the economy, the faster uh, distribution of vaccines allows businesses to experience much higher earnings growth than the even 41% that is now being contemplated in S&P 500 earnings estimates. Now, the downside driver is that, yes, we might get faster reopening and we might get better revenue growth, but the margin line could be an area of concern because we are seeing rapid rapidly rising input costs, whether they're from labor, material costs, or transportation, which if companies are unable to pass that cost on through to their customers and to the final consumer, we could see margins come under pressure. The last part of this is that a lot of growth stocks actually put up incredibly strong earnings in 2020. So for some cohorts of the market, they actually have very tough comparisons because there is risk that they pulled forward demand, pulled forward growth because of the, the distortions from the pandemic. We could run this list anytime. And the next item I think would come up every time as far as <laughs> an upside downside catalyst. But what, how do we see Fed policy and inflation? Yes. I mean, I think that this, this point that needs to be said before 
driving the upside or the downside is our overarching view that the market is extremely reliant on incremental liquidity from the Fed. And so it will be very sensitive to the movement of, of Fed stimulus. And if there is a little bit removed, and this would be the downside driver, that if the Fed indicates that it is starting to think about, think about tapering and then talk about a tapering program, that this could be a, a, quite a negative driver for a market that is trading near all-time high multiples in the piece. We show the relationship of the Fed balance sheet and the forward P multiple of the market. And so if the, if the Fed starts moving towards a even slightly more hawkish tone, we would see uh, multiple pressure that could offset some of the earnings growth that we're talking about. Now, on the upside, you know, the Fed could remain ultra accommodative. You know, they are telling you that that is their intention. Their intention is to look through near-term inflation data. They could continue to remain crisis level ultra accommodative, even as the economy continues to recover. Cover the point that we have that we that we mentioned is that there was talk about uh, a debate about tapering once you hit the seventy five percent vaccination level in the U S of adults, and we'd probably hit that around June. So this is a much watch item as we go into the summer months um, because it could be something that um, is just not being priced into markets today, uh, which is a discussion about removal of the crisis level support for the market. Well. Related to that is the next item, which is uh, interest rates. Yes. So we've seen an incredible move in interest rates higher uh, from the August lows. Interest rates have more than tripled on the on the 10-year from that, that uh, pandemic-related low. So to the upside, what we need to see is that long-dated interest rates remain benign. They remain low from a historical level, but they don't move down too much um, because that might indicate that we're slipping back into deflation, but they don't move up too much uh, to possibly choke off the investment portion of the economy where interest rates really do matter for, for decision-making. And so long interest rates will also really be the driver of rotations in the market. So if we continue to see long interest rates be in that sort of Goldilocks benign level, it may allow growth stocks and longer duration stocks to do better. Now, the inverse of that, if they continue to move up rapidly, it could likely put a lot of pressure on valuations for those growth and long duration stocks. And so it's something that we need to watch very closely because it will be the key driver of continued rotations in the market. You know, on that level, you know, you, Johnny, you've been looking at kind of what the technical signal is for the 10 year. Do you have any perspective on, uh, you know, where you see the 10 year moving in the near term? Yeah. So we bottomed out at a level of about 30, just under 40 basis points back in um, March of last year, stabilized throughout the summer and really didn't start accelerating until. Um, a low in August, and then steadily have risen higher um, all the way up to a peak of about 175, 178 area um, just a few weeks ago. At that point, we really were extended above trend. We had um, a pretty fair gap above the 50-day moving average. It was uh, one of the big, uh, if you look at price level, it was uh, above the 200-day. It was one of the four biggest we've seen in the past 20 years. In other words, the acceleration, the pace was a little bit much, and we were anticipating 
some type of stabilization in the pace higher. And lo and behold, that's exactly what's happened over the last month where we've gone sideways and slightly down with the yield where we're trading at a 158 right now, right at the 50 day moving average. So we are back in the upward trend. And this has some meaning because the level we're at, as much as we bounce, as incredible as that's been, we are barely hovering around what were the generational lows, allegedly, or what we thought, um, record lows of 2016 and 2012. So we've merely just corrected the overshoot from COVID crash and the future direction is, is a little bit ambiguous in, in the, uh, whether or not we have sustainability to break the back of this 40 year bull market, which is the conversation. We don't believe that there's a sufficient amount of evidence to, to make that claim yet, but that will have a lot of tell on the direction of a multitude of asset prices um, if we do continue to move. But, but as of now, um, we've merely corrected the overshoot, ha have yet to hit new high ground. We could, we could jump as high as two and a half to 275 and still be within that long-term downtrend. So there's a, in the short run, there's a tremendous amount of upside uh, and yet still be in that long-term decline. So it's, it's too early to tell which direction uh, in the long run a move of rates will actually take. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating point that the reason we can move so far so fast is because we came from such an incredibly depressed level and that there is still plenty of room for upside in those rates and still remain in a long-term downtrend um, on the 10-year, which, you know, when we're having these debates about Fed policy and inflation and are we in a new regime and what does this mean for, for asset cl class performance over the long run, you know, we, we can continue to go back to this point of it may be too soon to tell for a lot of these things, because even though it feels like we've had massive moves, when you zoom out, you're still in that long-term downtrend. Well, related to that, that has an impact on um, sentiment. So sentiment is another catalyst that we're we've been talking, uh, we've identified. Yes, sentiment is a bit similar to valuation in the sense that elevated readings can persist for some time. And so they are not helpful from a market timing perspective. We've been talking about elevated sentiment levels for months now. Further, like valuation, sentiment often needs another catalyst to cause it to reverse directions. But again, like valuation, it contributes to the magnitude of a move higher or lower. So at the end of the day, when sentiment is very elevated, there is simply less room for it to improve and it can be rather fickle and unwind rapidly. So for further upside in markets, we do need this kind of pervasive bullish sentiment to persist, while downside magnitude could be amplified if this elevated level of sentiment starts to unwind. So tied to that is flows. We've had some interesting statistics come out on flows recently. What's the risk and opportunity there? We have seen incredible flows into equities year to date. Um, there is a, a B of A fund manager survey that showed that over the last five months, we have seen more flows into equities than in the prior 12 years 
combined. This is absolutely incredible. And so the question is if this can continue. Now, the upside driver would be that, yes, it can continue because asset allocators are looking at the prospect of negative real returns on bonds and saying, I, you know, I can't accept this and I will rotate into equities. On the other hand, the absolute fever pitch of the flows into equities this year may not be sustainable. There is a lot of M2 on the sidelines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of M2 on the sidelines. I like that. So another um, characteristic that we've identified is is the the dollar's path. The price of the dollar conveys a lot of information that gives us a lot of clues on trends in a lot of other areas of the market. That rotation that we've been talking about for in this this concept of inflation, this upside narrative, for that really to take hold and really magnify itself, you really need a weaker dollar to um, reinforce and re ignite that story. And so we're at a very, very meaningful inflection point that could really um, extend or if it's rejected, reverse some of the trends that are in place now. So this is one of the metrics that we're really paying attention to. If we break below the late December, early January lows, it has profound meaning for the rest of asset prices. Yeah, and so we're seeing confirmation of the dollar drop in uh, things like the German boon, which is over the last few days has been rising and it is near a two-year low, which could have, again, have significant meaning for the direction of capital flows. And so those are, those are key metrics we're watching very, very closely because they contain a tremendous amount of information. And as you said, the dollar sits at the fulcrum of many of these rotation trades. A weaker dollar is going to mean that there's likely going to be another leg in the cyclical rally. On the the opposite side, if you do see a stronger dollar, it is likely more supportive of the defensive and maybe even some pockets of that idiosyncratic growth that we've been talking about. So it's really important for the future path of the rotations in the market. So as we approach the, it's late April now, we're approaching the sell in May going away. How does seasonality play into the story today? Seasonality is one of those catalysts that always comes up this time of year. You get the phrase, sell in May, go away. And it is one of those drivers that it's like a 60% of the time it works every time. But the reality is that seasonal factors are most helpful for more specific parts of the market, like cyclicals. So seasonality is a much more consistent driver of returns for cyclical stocks than for the market overall. With the seasonally weak or you know, kind of at best tepid period of returns for cyclicals being between May and September. So what this could mean is that the strong cyclical outperformance we have seen in recent months could take a bit of a breather. And this could be consistent with the peak data risk that we highlighted earlier. So we are seeing a little bit of an uptick in some viral cases in places like Michigan and Florida. What, uh, what, what threat and what potential is there for a virus resurgence or containment? So we have to include virus resurgence in this list, because even though the market has shown an unflinching ability to shrug off news about the virus throughout 
you know, what's really been almost the past 12 months, there could always be surprises that spook the market. We think this would have to be something that forces large economies into lockdowns again. So despite high vaccination rates, uh, if you saw bigger lockdowns as we move into the summer, this would imply that there would have to be some kind of mutation of the virus that would be vaccine resistant. Of course, we don't have clear evidence of that now, but we list it as a risk. You know, we don't think that the rising case levels that you're seeing in some parts of the U.S. or even the absolute explosion of cases that you're seeing in India will really shake global markets unless they are the source of a higher risk mutation. So China is a very dynamic issue, um, political, financial. Um, what kind of impacts could they have over the coming months? Yeah, so with China, there's lots to unpack here from many angles, and it's probably worth a podcast episode of its own. But just some things that we're watching. Um, we're watching policy coming out of China. If China remains very accommodative, it should continue to help their market as well as global markets. But a tightening could potentially set off a wave of deflationary impulse, kind of like what we saw in 2014 to 2016. So it'll be important to track and see what, what the Chinese central bank is doing with policy to determine the future path of China growth and how that will impact the rest of the world. There, of course, are geopolitical tensions to consider. You know, Taiwan could be a flashpoint issue uh, as we move later into the year. And of course, trade relations uh, you know, remain tense. And then we can't leave without the, the, this, uh, this final point, which is well documented in the news that there has been a pretty dramatic shift in fiscal policy. Uh, um, definitely pricing in a lot of the optimism around that. What does that mean for upside versus downside? So on the fiscal policy front, the market has proven an ability to actually be quite optimistic about the path of fiscal stimulus, mainly on infrastructure. And my years as an industrial analyst taught me to be rather dubious of large-scale infrastructure plans. You know, despite how obviously clear the need is on the political will to come together and roll out large-scale infrastructure uh, just has been elusive. And the question of who's going to pay for it and you know, where the money gets spent seems to always stop these uh, what are very laudable goals from, from being executed on. Uh, but you know, if we do get incremental infrastructure spending, it likely helps the cyclical names. But then, of course, there is the question of how to pay for it. And it looks like there could be some traction for reversal of Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And this would really focus on the corporate tax side of things. We don't see this as being priced into markets right now. And so we do see the announcement of tax reform changes that could raise the corporate tax rate as an as a negative catalyst. Well, of course, these catalysts both have positive negative connotations. Uh, there's a lot of potential of, of both directions over the coming weeks and months. We're definitely going to continue to pay close uh, attention and analyze these trends. Uh, if you would like to read more about this, definitely visit the, um, our website at fieldpointprivate.com. Uh, the Monday morning update as of April 19th is the where we take a deeper dive on this. And of course, we'll connect you to even more in-depth um, 
research and analysis that we do uh, on an ongoing basis. But thank you for your time and thank you for listening. And Cameron, thank you for your insight. Of course, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Field Points of View, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. It helps more people find the show. The preceding content is for informational purposes only and based on information available when created. It is not an offer or solicitation, nor is it tax or legal advice. It does not consider your financial circumstances, objectives or risk tolerance, and could be unsuitable for you. Fuelpoint Private encourages you to speak with an investment professional before making any investment decisions.